Jeez, the service here is so slow. We just got here. I know, but I'm hungry. It's okay, I'm sure he'll be here in a few seconds. He better. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm searching folks out for something to drink, like a bottle of wine, maybe. How much for the bottle? Uh, this is $49.99. Uh, we'll take two waters. Two waters. Thank you, though. Anyway. So, I'm gonna have to cancel on you this weekend. Why? Something for work came up. You've had a work event every weekend for the past four weekends. Is it another Nats game? No, no it's not. You know how much this upsets me, Will. I know, and you keep bringing it up. Because you keep canceling on me. But didn't Jesus say forgive and forget? Actually, sorry, he never said that. Are you guys ready to eat? Yes, Sure. Please. I'll take the chicken and mac and cheese. And I would like- She'll have, have a salad. A salad, yes. Great, mm, yeah. right away. Thank you. Hey, by the way, do you know where my golf clubs are? I need them this weekend. You gotta be kidding. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to the well here at STSA, an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. That's what we like to say. And today, I believe, is gonna be one of those days because what we are doing here today is we're talking about things Jesus never said. Okay, and as you saw up there from the, the intro clip right there, what we're going to talk about today is the subject of forgiveness. Because over the past two weeks, we have delved into this topic of things Jesus never said. And what we discovered is a lot of things that we kind of always thought he said, and that we even tell other people that he said. And like Katie said, is that our parents told us that he said. He never actually said. He never told us, follow me and I will give you the desires of your heart. We saw that that's something we made up. And it sounds nice and it sounds good, but it's not really anything that he said. He never said that I'll never give you more than you can handle. And in fact, last week we saw that he intentionally gives us more than we can handle. And we saw the benefit of having more than we can handle. And today we are going to look in to the statement that we think Jesus said, which is, when I forgive, I forget. Now by show of hands, how many people have seen this poster in someone's house or someplace? Very good. Everyone has. Every home I go into has this picture of Jesus, so loving, so kind, so sweet, and it says, when I forgive, I forget. I won't make you raise your hands if you have this poster in your house, okay? But I know we've all seen it. Two problems with this sentence, when I forgive, I forget. Number one, Jesus never said it. That's number one. And number two, I don't even think it's humanly possible. I don't even think it's humanly possible. Some things are easy to, you are able to forget. But I don't think it's humanly possible that anything that anyone has ever done to you that you have the ability to turn on a switch called, I forget. I remember back when I was in second grade. Second grade. And I could picture it like it was yesterday. Sister Ann Hughes, my second grade teacher, I went to Catholic school. Sister Ann Hughes, I'm sitting there in class and I'm the good kid, okay? Like, I'm the good kid, I'm me, okay? And another kid, Matthew Somerville, I can still see him right, right, sitting right there, did something. He was the class clown. He made, like, something funny. And several people started laughing. All I did was go, like that. Only person she saw was me. Next thing I felt was the claws of death, okay? Wrath of God on this ear pulled me out the seat by this ear, okay? And that was the only time I ever got in trouble. One time I got caught, okay? I should, I should say. And I still, like, if you bring me a, a lineup of 10 sisters or 10 Catholic nuns, I point out Sister Ann Hughes right there from the start. I could pick her out. 
So don't tell me to just flip on a switch and say forget, because some things you can't forget. And that's just a silly, dumb example. I'm talking about people who have been abused. I'm talking about people who have been stabbed in the back. I'm talking about people who had drunk drivers hit their children and put an end to their children's life. How are you going to forget that? Someone who's been robbed. Someone who's been mugged. Someone who's been lied to. Someone who's been cheated on. I can't flip on a switch and say, you have to forget that. So what we're going to see here today is that forgetting and forgiving are not the same. They are not the same. And one of them, we are required to do. And we're going to talk about how to do that. And one of them has nothing to do with the other. And our key verse, our key thought is going to come from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, where St. Paul says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. What is bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking? That's the stuff that we talk about when someone hurt us and we won't let go of it. We talk bad about them, we're angry, we're bitter, we're resentful, whatever it may be. St. Paul says, put that stuff away from you. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here's going to be our key thought. We're going to try to delve into this sentence. What does it mean not just to forgive someone? Forget about your idea of forgiving. Forget about it. And I want to see today, what does it mean when it says, as God forgave you? And what I need to understand is how did God forgive me? How does God look at my mistakes? How does God look when I lie to him? How does God look when I cheat against him? How does God look at it when I hurt him? And I need to have that same attitude towards others. Does God forget my sin? Like even, is that even a possible sentence that God is like, uh, remind me? Like, is it even possible for God to forget? That's what we're going to dig into here today. And we're going to try to look at it and understand because we need to figure this thing out. Because too many of us are captive to this idea of forgiveness, understand it, and we live our whole lives feeling guilty. We're not able to let forgiveness rule over us. And today we're going to that stuff. But before we get into forgiveness, forgiveness is the, is the fruit of something before there. Like forgiveness or unforgiveness, okay, or bitterness or resentment is the fruit of another emotion, which is anger. Okay, and you can call that whatever name you want. You can call it anger. You can call it getting upset. You call it getting mad, being hurt, like whatever. Something happens. Someone does something to hurt you, to anger you, to upset you. And that's where the bitterness and resentment comes from. So I want to take a step back to the first. And I want to ask this question. All of us get angry, and a lot of us struggle to forgive after we get angry. I want to ask this question. Does God ever get angry? Does God get angry? But didn't this verse, whoops, sorry, didn't this verse, sorry, one more, say, put away all anger from you? So why doesn't God listen to this verse? I said, does God get angry? Everyone said, yes, God gets angry. But I said, this verse says, let all anger be put away from you. So St. Paul preaching to God? Does God get angry? Well, before we jump to answer this, okay, this is, again, this is, y'all know this is the way I like to do it. Before I jump to say, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, let's dig into the Bible. And let's see if there's any evidence. Like, before we guess, let's read. So let's bring a couple verses. Exodus 32, verse 9 and 10, Old Testament. This is after the people of Israel did the whole golden calf incident, where God freed them 
from captivity, and then they built a golden calf and said, this is your God, O, o Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, after he saw the golden calf, I have seen his people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked is how God insults people. This is a great insult, by the way. You can add this to your repertoire, and no one can say this is bad, because God himself said it. So instead of using the four-letter words, okay, don't use that. Go stiff-necked, okay? That's, use stiff-necked. That's, it's strong, okay? I have seen his people. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my, say it with me, that my wrath, sounds like anger, may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. Does God get angry? First piece of evidence, sounds like he does. Get another verse. Numbers 32. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. Here it looks like not only is God angry, but God gets payback on them. Y'all did this mistake? I got angry, and I stuck it to you. 40 years. Take that, stiff-necked. Now you look at that and say, the common response is to say that is Old Testament. That's what we always say. That's Old Testament. Because we like to have this idea that just throw away the Old Testament because we don't understand it and we don't like it, so just throw that away. Even though in the history of the world, the Old Testament is like 6,000 years history and the New Testament is like a period of 30 years or 50 years at most, but we throw away the whole Old Testament. Fine, even though I don't agree with throw away the whole Old Testament, it's the same God. I'll give it to you. New Testament. Did Jesus ever get angry? Absolutely got angry. John chapter 2 is a story that is repeated twice. When Jesus went to the temple, and he, John 2, 14, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Jesus goes into the temple. They're using the temple for an improper means. And what Jesus tells us here. Okay, follow me on this one. That in the temple, getting angry is okay. Getting angry is okay in the temple. So not only Jesus, not only Old Testament angry, not only New Testament angry, but New Testament angry where? In the most holy place. So that leads me to believe that it's okay to get angry. And you know what? This fits with our understanding of God. Because what kind of father wouldn't get angry when his children do something wrong. God absolutely gets angry. He gets angry when his children break laws. Not because he's angry at them for defying him, but just like I get angry at my child for running in the street without looking both ways, I absolutely get angry because I'm trying to protect my child. As a father, God gets angry when someone offends one of his children. That's why Jesus said that if you cause an offense to a child, it is better for you than a millstone was hung around your neck because I'm going to be really angry at you. Because absolutely, any father wants to protect his children. God absolutely gets angry when we, his children, judge as opposed to help. When we see someone in need and we turn a blind eye as opposed to helping, absolutely God gets angry. Don't say that God doesn't get angry. God absolutely gets angry. So what's the difference between God's anger and my anger? Here's our key thought for today. I'm going to say one sentence. I'm going to spend the rest of the time unpacking this sentence. And this makes intuitive sense to you already, all right? The difference between God's anger and my anger is this. Outside anger is not the same as inside anger. But if left unaddressed, will lead to it. Say that again. 
Outside anger is not the same as inside anger. But if left unaddressed, if the outside is left unaddressed, it will lead to the inside. God's anger, I want to argue here today, is an outside anger, not an inside anger. And I'm going to argue that outside anger is actually a sign of love. Inside anger is not a sign of love. It's actually a sign of hate or whatever you, the opposite you want to say of love. Now let me explain. What's the difference between outside and inside anger? I made up these terms, so you're not going to find these in any journal. Like, not, I, I totally made this up. But I'm just trying to, to really d depict what, 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 what's going on here. Outside anger is, I'm saying, the expression of anger. That people will upset you. People will hurt you. People will lie to you. People will steal. People will do stuff from you. And to express that anger is not wrong. To say, hey, what you did is not right. What you did is wrong. You hurt my feelings. You stepped in a place that you shouldn't have stepped. To express that anger is not wrong. And in fact, I'm going to argue it is a sign of love. What's the dangerous part of anger? Is not the outside expressed, but the inside unexpressed. You see, what Jesus did, he saw the people doing bad. He said, you guys are doing bad. And you don't need to do any of this stuff. This stuff is going to mess you up. And he had nothing but love inside his heart for them. We do the opposite. We come and say, oh, it's good to see you. And hi, I'm... And we don't talk to them. We talk about them. And we never confront them. We just hold bitterness and resentment and grudge inside. And we get angry, angry, angry. And then we see them. And they don't have the faintest idea. We do the opposite of what God does. God is outside anger. And if you commit a sin, God says, that's a sin. And that's going to hurt you. But he never lets it get on the inside. We do the opposite. We smile. We nod. We say all the nice things to them. But inside, that's why I'll show you another verse. The verse I showed you that said, let all anger be put away from you. Anyone remember where that was from? Let all anger be put away from you? That was Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31 and 32, Ephesians 4. Let me show you what else is in Ephesians 4, just four verses before. Before he said, let all anger be put away from you, he said, be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So the same person who said, don't ever be angry, said, be angry. How? Like, is he confused? How he says, let all anger be put away, but here he says, be angry. Because the key is, there's different kinds of anger. There's be angry and do not sin. And do not give a place for the devil to come inside you. And that is how, what I'm going to make the argument today, the way that you don't sin with anger is you express it. You get it outside. Now, obviously, within limits. Okay, I'm not giving anyone a, 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 a green light here to be abusive or temper. Like, you take, you totally misunderstanding what I'm saying if that's what you're thinking. I'm going to give you a formula of how to express it at the end. Practical tips. Okay, but my point is, that in order to keep it from becoming an inside, I have to express it and convert it into an outside anger. I'll give you another verse right here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, You have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. This whole section in Matthew chapter 5, this is also the section where Jesus said, you have heard that adultery is bad, and that's when a boy and a girl who aren't married do married people stuff. And Jesus said, you know what? It doesn't actually need to reach the outside level of adultery to be adultery. You can be adultery without even doing anything on the outside because it's the inside adultery that's much more dangerous. 
And the same thing with anger and murder. He said, you don't actually need to touch the other person to be guilty of murder. If you're angry on the inside and you got that anger bottled up, in God's eyes, you're the same as a murderer. St. John Chrysostom, one of our church fathers, talks about this specific verse, and this is what he says. Okay, he, he talks about inside and outside anger, but he uses much more nice terms than me. He says on this verse, Christ does not speak of anger of the flesh, but anger of the heart. He does not speak of anger of the flesh, but anger of the heart. For the flesh cannot be so disciplined as to not feel the passion. Meaning, he's not saying, never tell anyone they're wrong, never get upset. He's saying, no one has the ability, the discipline, to never get upset. People get upset, and there's nothing wrong with get upset. But what he is saying, when, the, when a man is angry, but refrains from doing what his anger prompts him to do, his flesh is angry, but his heart is free from anger. Just like the sexual sin. When a man is tempted with the sexual sin, the temptation is not the sin. It's what he does with that temptation. When a man is tempted with anger, it's not the anger. It's what he does with it. Does he express it in a healthy way? Or does he bottle it up under the guise of, I'm supposed to somehow forget? Do we stuff it inside and say, no, if I was a true Christian, I would just forget about it and say it's no big deal, even though that's not what God did, that's not what Jesus did, and that's not what St. Paul is doing. St. Paul is saying, be angry, but be angry and do not sin. Earlier, I talked about the difference Old Testament versus New Testament. Some people say Old Testament God is mean. Old Testament God is mean means you don't read the actual Bible. If you say Old Testament God is mean, Old Testament God is cruel, means you don't actually read the Bible. It means you just kind of go in with your own notion because you don't actually read the words. Because if you look in the Old Testament, the same God who said, I will consume them with my wrath. I am so angry at them. These people are the worst people in the world. A few verses later, he'll say, okay, I'll give them another chance. Give them another chance. Let me send them a prophet. And then they messed up, and they listened to the prophet. And these people are stiff-necked people. I'm going to destroy them. Okay, but I'll give them another chance. And I'll send my own son to them. If God was anger and God was cruel, would he send his own son to die for those people? Like, you can see the grace of God in the New Testament. You can't miss the grace of God in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, God is very clear about these people are doing wrong. These people are sinning. These people don't deserve. These people are the worst people in the world. Yet he continues to send, continues to forgive, continues to give them another chance and another chance and another chance. And finally, he sends his own son, even though he knows they're going to kill his son. You can't look at the Old Testament and not see the grace of God, okay, despite his anger. So do you see what I'm trying to say? Inside, outside anger? Love has to be on the inside. Even if there's expression of anger on the outside, that's okay. Versus the opposite, which is we do. We express love, we express kindness, but on the inside is anger and it's bitter and it's resent. We need to flip the switch right here and start doing it the way Jesus taught us to do it. Every time, those who have gone through the membership group here at STSA, okay, everyone who's gone through the membership group knows that there's one particular session where I talk about forgiveness. And we talk about the Lord's Prayer and we talk about the sentence, Forgive us as we forgive those. And every time I talk about it, we talk about the Lord's Prayer because we say it a thousand times, we talk about the Lord's Prayer. That's an hour session. I spend probably 40% of the time on that one phrase. Forgive us as we forgive others. And every time I, I give that session, I can see looks and eyes. And I start to say, you know what? Being a member of the body of Christ, being a child of God, forgiveness is not an option. 
you have to forgive. And then I see the tears start to well up. And I always say, come talk, and people come talk to me afterwards and say, you know what, Father Anthony, I can't do what you're saying. I can't do it. I can't forgive. I can't, this person hurt me. And they start telling me about their hurt. And I am not talking about, I'm not saying the person didn't hurt you. I'm not saying you need to forget. But what I'm saying is you need to forgive. And every time we go through that membership group, then for someone, there's always an aha moment. And someone always comes to me afterwards and says, now I've been able to free myself from shackles that have been keeping me prisoner, okay, of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and hatred and grudge. And I'm telling you, there's no greater feeling in the world than to free yourself from this. And the key to doing that is getting rid of this idea that forgive means forget. We've coupled the two together, so we say, because I can't forget, that means I can't forgive. And I'm telling you, one doesn't have nothing to do with the other. That you may never forget what that person did to you, but that doesn't mean you can't forgive them today. And you can't live in freedom today from the bitterness and the resentment and the grudge and the hate. Because here's the thing that you know to be true and I know to be true. I was watching a documentary about forgiveness yesterday on the airplane, and they kept talking about this expression, you become a puppet of your pain. You become a puppet of your pain. That you know just like I know that when you refuse to forgive and you have that inside you, then there becomes a painful event from your life that you just can't escape and you become a slave to it and it eats away at you and it ruins your ability to pray to God. You can't because you got hate inside and it ruins your Christmases. Christmas dinner isn't the same for you because you got something against your father or your mother or your brother or sister and Christmas stinks for you. And you, even with your own children, because you got something with your parent and you can't let go of that. So something between you and your children. And it eats away at your life, at your friendships. And what I'm saying is, all because of a misunderstanding. That you don't understand what forgiveness means. So what I want to talk about here today. If you struggle to forgive, this is your day. This is your day. If you're carrying something for a while, this is your day. Whatever shackles, whatever bondage, this may be your day. I want you to believe that when you have a redefined understanding of forgiveness, then you can be free. And people can hurt you, but you're free from that hurt. And people can do stuff against you, and you can say, no more am I letting you, an event from 30 years ago, control. Sister Ann Hughes, you pulled my ear, but I'm letting go today. Because I need to live in freedom and not in bitterness and in pain. All right? How do I get there? I say to get there, first we need to understand, and then we need to practice. Oh, there's always an intellectual component and then a practice component. So the first thing I need to understand is what is anger, or what is the inside anger? Why do I have inside anger inside me? Like, what is it that's causing me to be so angry? Like, many people hurt many people, but for some reason, I can't let go of this. Several people have hurt me, and I let it go, but this particular, I can't let go. Why is that? Well, I say that every bitterness or anger inside, inside anger right now, comes from a feeling of, you owe me. You owe me. You owe me because my boss passed over me for, my, for that promotion. And I deserve that promotion. So you robbed me of my career plans. You robbed me of where I think I should be right now. You owe me. This person talked bad about you. They gossiped about you. They said something that wasn't true about you. They stole your reputation. They stole your social life. You owe me. You took away my right to have a certain kind of social life. You owe me. A father wasn't there for you when you were young. 
He stole your right to be a normal child, whatever you define normal, even though no one's normal. But you, you, in your mind, a normal childhood should have looked like this. And because your father or your mother or your brother or your whatever, you owe me my childhood back. I, I can't forgive you because you stole this from me. You owe me. That's why when we talk about anger and unforgiveness, what expression do we always talk about? What expression always comes up when it comes to thinking about the other person? Is I want to get even, right? Get even. Get even what? Get even what? Get even means there's some kind of a debt that's been established here. A debt-to-debtor relationship. You stole something from me. Give it back. You stole my childhood. Give it back. You stole my innocence. Give it back. You stole my career. Give it back. Those who struggle with forgiveness always feel like they've been cheated out of something. They've been robbed of something. Someone out there owes them something, and they use words like justice and payback and get even to mean give me back what you stole from me. Well, here's the problem, and you know this to be true. The majority of debts in life can never be paid back. The examples I just gave. How do I give someone back their childhood? Here, take your childhood back. Can, I give, can a father give his son his childhood back? Someone who's been abused, sexually abused from a young age. Can I give her back her innocence? Someone whose reputation has been tarnished. Say, okay, sorry, my bad, but that's it. Right, that's what they do in court. Like they say it and they say, okay, strike it from the record. But once it's out there, it's out there. Most debts can actually never be repaid. So you're sitting there holding on to a debt that's never going to be repaid. Read you a quote from a book by a PhD named, he's got a funny name to pronounce. His last name is Efron, E-F-R-O-N, and the first name is going to be difficult to pronounce. But the name of the book is called Healing the Angry Brain. Healing the Angry Brain. He says this. He says, even though the offense is long over, people keep thinking obsessively about what happened. See if this defines you. The event is long over. People keep thinking obsessively about what happened. The problem with this, listen carefully, is every time the memory comes, they feel re-injured as if they are being betrayed in that exact moment. See the expression, puppets of pain? We are puppets of our own pain. And every time we recall the memory of what so-and-so did, then with this guy with the PhD at the end of his name, says it's like reliving it. Every time I think about it, the hurt happens all over again. So what forgiveness is there to do is to let go of that hurt so that, so that even though I still remember it, I still may have the memory. The memory won't go away. I can't forget. But I don't need to relive the hurt. I don't need to go back through the pain. And we need to figure out how we can do that. Sometimes I ask people, people who tell me that I won't forgive this person. I won't forgive this person. I won't forgive this person. I ask them. I pull out a calendar. I say, okay, you're choosing to let this person dictate your pain today. You're choosing to let this person hurt you today. Show me on the calendar. When are you going to let them stop hurting you? Like they hurt you five years ago. Show me what day on the calendar you're going to say they can no more hurt you. Because what's happened is this person has moved or this person has died or this person is no more part of your life. But you are allowing them control to continue to re-injure you every single day by not forgiving. So you tell me how long you want to live in bitterness. How long you want to have not love in your heart but, but hate in your heart. How long you want to live as a prisoner to grudges and resentment. You tell me. If the problem, if the problem is you owe me, what's the solution? 
if the problem is you owe me. The problem of anger can only be solved one way, not by forgetting. It can only be solved by forgiving. The only way you who struggle with anger, or the inside anger now, the inside, the bitterness, you don't realize it, but it is affecting every part of your life. You're angry, like I said, at your dad or at your mom, but you're taking it out on your wife and on your kids. You're angry at your boss, but the poor sucker at Starbucks who has to serve you that cup of coffee, he's the recipient of your anger. You don't realize it, but when there's that inside anger, it comes out, and you justify it based on your hurt and you're a victim, and my heart goes out to you. But you know the people around you? They don't know your pain. All they know is that you're an angry person and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Because they don't have time to know your story and listen to your story. So what we need to do is we need to let go. And we need to learn how to forgive. Not for the sake of others. Like this is the, the one, not for the sake of others. Anytime I say you need to forgive, someone says, I can't. I'm not saying you forgive for the sake of the other. I'm saying forgive for the sake of yourself. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at a story from the, the New Testament, from Matthew chapter 18. It's a long story. We'll read it kind of quick. We're not really interested in the details as much as the principle where Jesus has a dialogue with St. Peter about this topic of forgiveness, okay? And it starts off like this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So St. Peter starts off this discussion with a little, I imagine him with his chest puffed out a little bit here. He comes up and says, Lord, all these people are hurting me and all these people are doing these bad things, but I'm your disciple. I'm your son. So how often should I forgive? And he says it with a loud voice. So the other disciples, the unforgiving guys, okay, listen and say, how about seven? Meaning like that guy only forgave once or twice, but seven? And he's got his, and the first mistake that Peter's making is a mistake that we all make. He's thinking, how often should I take one for the team? How often should I take one for the sake of that guy? How loving should I be to that guy? And Jesus is about to show him, hey, Peter, this is the mistake that we all make. Forgiveness is not about that guy. Forgiveness has nothing to do with that guy. Forgiveness has to do with me. I'm not saying take one for that guy, but I'm about to show you, Peter, that it's in your best interest to continue to forgive, not just seven, but a lot more than seven, not because of that guy, but because of this guy. The story goes on. And I want you, by the way, as we read this story, you're thinking of it in light of the person who has hurt you person who bring their name to your mind, and you, the person that you hold the grudge, the ang- like whatever, the inside anger. We're reading this story in light of that guy. Okay, everyone got someone? Okay, no, you don't need to point, okay, or elbow or anything like that. Just in your mind, okay? Don't write their name, okay? Don't, don't start coloring their face, nothing like that, okay? But it's in your mind. How many times should I forgive that person? Seven times? Jesus says, okay. I got a different answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And of course, Peter at that moment, his jaw drops. Like sheepishly goes back. And then Jesus says, since we're talking about the subject of forgiveness, let me tell you a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and that payment be made. Pause the story right there. Someone owes to a master 
10,000 talents. Let's make that $10,000. What does the master do to that person? Because he's not able to pay, the master commands that he be sold and the payment be made. Is this cruel of the master? Is this cruel? No. He had every right. This is the law. If I lend you $10,000 and you don't pay me back, I will call someone above both you and I and say, this person owes me $10,000. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, don't be very spiritual because we're in church. If someone stole $10,000 from you, you would call the police and they didn't pay you back. I'm not talking about 10 nickels. I'm talking about $10,000. If your company shorted you $10,000 on your, on your end of your, like we, $10,000. The master's not being mean. The master's doing what's right. I gave you $10,000. You wasted it all. I have every right to sell you because you're a slave. He's not saying it in a bad way. He's not saying kill him. But I'm going to sell him and get what money I can. There's nothing wrong with this. Everyone agree with me? There's nothing wrong with this. The master had a right to do this. You're the servant. What do you do in this situation? You owe $10,000. You owe me $10,000. I call the police. They come knocking at your door. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Say, I accept it, Lord. Thank you. You're going to come and knock on my door, and you're going to do what? Payment. You're going to beg for mercy. You say, please, 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 please. I'm really, really sorry. It was her fault. It wasn't mine. Please, 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 please. You're going to beg for mercy. And that's what the people did. Don't think Bible stories is different than in real life. It's real life. Then the servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, please, master, please, 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 please. Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. This is the most important part of the story for, for us right now. You have to get this. Did the master have to forgive the debt? No. Would anyone have judged the master for, forgive, for not forgiving him? For saying, you owe, I gave you 10000 you owe me 10000 That's not wrong. With this guy, what I'm trying to show you is the master didn't, wasn't going to do something bad. And went to, the master went above and beyond. And if I owe, you owe me $10,000 and I say, forget about it. Let go of it. That's a great, like, Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. The master for was merciful and canceled the debt. He said, you owed me, but no more you owe me. Story continues. But that servant who was just forgiven went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience me, and I will pay you all. Don't read the last part, even though I know everyone's today, you're going to read the last part. Jesus tells this story about this master forgiving this guy, and then what are the odds that that same guy walks out the door and someone happens to owe him 100 denarii? 10,000 talents, 100 denarii. It's like dollars and cents. $10,000, even if we say $100, but it's not $100. It'd probably be the equivalent of 50 bucks. $10,000, 50 bucks. What are the odds? What are the odds the same minute that the guy gets forgiven 10 grand that this guy walks in and says, hey, by the way, you happen to owe me 50 bucks. And then we see the same scenario played out. So logically, we are, of course, we are sure what is going to happen next. Like, what are the odds? of it? Like, if this happened like a year later or even just 10 minutes before, but what are the odds that the minute I'm forgiven 10 grand, that someone owes me 50 bucks. What are the odds? And look what happens here. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. But went and threw him into prison 
till he should pay the debt. Okay? Doesn't sound very good. The story continues. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? What's the answer to that question? Should you not have had compassion as I had compassion on you? The answer is, yes, you should have had compassion. Absolutely. Because I just forgave you $10,000 and you couldn't forgive this guy 50 bucks? Verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Okay, the story's done, and Peter's listening to it, and the other disciples, they're like, okay, now I get this. Okay, I get this. Forgiveness is important. Not yet. The real zinger is this last verse, verse 35, where it all comes together. Jesus says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I heard this story about the servants, and I said, okay, this is a nice lesson. Teach this to the kids. Then all of a sudden, Jesus said, no, 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 we're not talking about the kids. I'm saying the king is God. The first servant who was forgiven $10,000 is who? Anyone who has been forgiven by God. Anyone who has been forgiven by God is that first servant, which means all of us need to raise our hands. Who's the second servant? Anyone who has offended anyone who has been forgiven by God. See what Jesus did right here? Jesus said there's a third party in the story between you and your brother. It's not just between your brother. It's not just she owes me. It's not just he owes me. It's not just he owes him. There's a third party in the story here. Who's the third party? The third party is God. And what Jesus says right here is that the reason that I should be forgiving to that guy is because someone else was more forgiving to me. And because someone was forgiving to me, I don't treat that person as they deserve to be treated. I treat that person, not even as that person treats me. I treat that person as God treats me. I don't forgive because you deserve it. I forgive because I got forgiveness, even though I didn't deserve it. Here's what I'm going to say about forgiveness based on that story. If you need a definition for what forgive means, it doesn't mean forget. Forgive means, like the story said, cancel the debt. Forgive means cancel the debt. Forgive means cancel the debt. It doesn't mean forget. doesn't mean forget that someone abused you. doesn't mean forget that someone lied to you. doesn't mean forget that someone stole for you. It means cancel the debt. You humiliated me, and I will never forget what you did. But from this moment on, you don't owe me anything. I forgive the debt. Even, look, 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 look at the language that banks use it. When you're in debt and you have a loan and I owe you money as, as a bank, the bank will forgive the debt, which means basically to say, not like, oh, I don't remember any debt that you owe me. I don't remember it. That's not what it means. It means from this day forward, I'm saying, you owed me $10,000. On this day, you don't owe me $10,000 anymore. I let go of the debt. And this is what God is calling us to do. Why? Because that's exactly what he did for us. And if we are not willing to let go of the debts that people owe us, then what he says is, I may not let go of the debt that you owe me. Now, those who struggle with forgiveness are listening to me 
and saying, what a horrible thing for you to say, Father Anthony, and, and how insensitive of you. Don't you know that people have been hurt? Don't you know that people have been really hurt? You're talking about people who have been abused. You're talking about people who have been lied to. You're talking about people who have been stabbed in the back. How could you be so insensitive? Listen, first of all, I'm not saying you better forgive or God is going to punish you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to forgive or you are punishing yourself. Because I talk about the law of forgiveness like I talk about the law of gravity. I'm not saying don't jump off that building or I'm going to kill you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't jump off that building or else you will kill yourself. Same thing with forgiveness. I'm not saying you need to forgive or I'm going to hold you. I'm saying if you don't forgive, you are holding yourself prisoner and captive to unforgiveness. I'm not doing it to you. And the second thing that I'll say is anyone who is unwilling to forgive, anyone who is unwilling to forgive is usually thinking about what has been done to them, not for them. Anyone who struggles to forgive is usually thinking about what has been done to them and not for them. And what this parable shows me is that the key to thinking differently about what has been done to me is never forgetting what has been done for me. I don't know about you, but as I stand here today, I have been forgiven of a debt that I could never repay. I have been forgiven by God of a debt that I could never repay. If I spent my whole life trying to repay God for the forgiveness that he has given me, I could never catch up. And therefore, I will, not based on what you deserve, but based on what I have been given, and the debt that has been canceled on my behalf. Therefore, I will say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you owe me. Because in light of what I owe him and he canceled it, your debt to me is nothing. Like your debt to me cost me to swallow my pride. His debt, my debt to him cost him his own blood. Your debt to me cost me to just say, I forgive you. Or to just move on or let go of whatever. My debt to him was an eternal debt. Because he's an eternal God. And if he's willing to let go of that, I don't treat you the way you deserve to be treated. I treat you the way I want to be treated by God. Now, I understand that's a lot. And I told you I'd get practical. I'm going to give you practical. And I've given this before. Okay, probably four years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, I talked about a formula for how to forgive outside Get the anger outside. Okay, what does it mean? And I gave a four-step process. And I'm going to go through those steps real quick. And I'm happy to sit with anybody who wants to discuss this further. Because like I said, I know this stuff hits in deep places. And I'm not just saying flip a switch. But I want to help you out and give you a framework of how you think about it. How do I practically forgive someone who has hurt me? Four quick steps. And I'll go through them pretty quick right here. Number one, and it's all under the theme of canceling the debt. I'm sorry the screen isn't working. Forgive me, all the people over here. Okay, y'all, do y'all forgive me? <laughs> I had no choice today, okay? I did what I want today, okay? <laughs> Identify who you're angry with. Identify who you're angry with. Forgive is not a decision to forget. So usually, so everything I'm going to say here today, again, this idea of inside versus outside, anyone who is focused on forgetting is going to tell you the opposite of what I'm saying, which is don't think about it. Don't think about who hurt you. Just don't think about it. Just stuff it in there. Don't think about it. And again, like I said, I think that's very good on the outside, but I think it's very bad on the inside. So I'm going to say the exact opposite. I don't think you forget about it. I don't think you stuff it. I think you attack it. I think you go head on. I think you say, 
That guy. That's the guy that I'm angry with. That's the guy, like I said, Sister Ann Hughes, wherever you are, I'm looking right at you. That's the person who hurt me. And you identify who it is. Make a list. And I'm, I'm a paper and pen kind of a guy because I, I like writing things down. But make a list and say, this person hurt me. This person. And identify them by name. Who are the people whose names come up? Like I said, you cringe. You avoid them. You don't want to have anything to do with them. Write their names down and attack it head on. This could be a person who is around you. person who has moved away. could be a person who is deceased. person who never existed. person who just, in your mind, owes you something. Some of us, this could be God. Some of us are angry at God, like identify. Okay. Number two, determine what this person owes you. Determine what they owe you. Not what did they do to you. What did they take from you? What did they owe you? What is the debt? Like, we need not general forgiveness. We need specific forgiveness. Because unless it's specific, it won't heal. Like, general forgiveness doesn't heal specific hurts, is what I'm trying to say. General forgiveness doesn't heal specific hurts. So be very clear. I'm angry at so-and-so. I'm angry at this teacher. I'm angry at this boss because they took from me X. They owe me Y. This is what I feel like they took away from me. In the parable that we just read, did the king just say, anyone who has taken anything from me is forgiven? Is that how he did? He said, no, this servant, you owe me 10,000. This is what you owe me. And he labeled exactly what it was, and he forgave that specific debt. Number three, cancel the debt. Cancel the debt, which means what? Cancel the debt. At the bottom of your handout, I gave you a little sample prayer, okay? And that's just simply a sample that I stole from one of the books that I was reading, okay? That could be used to help guide you and direct you. And what I mean by cancel the debt. What it means, again, not forget. The, it's the exactly opposite of forget. Like anyone who says you have to forget to forgive, I actually think it's the exact opposite. You need to remember. I need to, and you need to be very clear that so-and-so took this from me, and then I choose to cancel. If I go to the bank, I owe mortgage on my house, and they say, ah, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Nah, nah, nah we're good. We're good. That's not very reassuring. What is very reassuring, if they write on a piece of paper, they say, Anthony Messa, this social security number, this birthday, this residence, this debt, is now fulfilled and signed by someone with a big title. So that way, next year, when they come back and say, hey, wait a minute, aren't you the guy who owes this? I'd say, da, da, da. The debt has been forgiven. I'm not saying you forget about what I owe you. I'm not saying that I, 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 my, my, my debt vanishes from your memory. What I'm saying is I have a record that it's canceled. And you know who that record is most important for? It's actually not most important for me as the person forgiven. It's most important for the forgiver. Because that's step four. Step four is dismiss the case. Dismiss the case. If I go to court and I get tried and I get found innocent, someone can't come later on and say, ah, we changed our mind. Now that case has been dismissed. And what some of us need to do, some of us who have forgiven, we need to dismiss the case. What do I mean by dismiss the case? Again, if you think that forgiving and forgetting are the same, I'm telling you the exact opposite. I'm saying that when someone hurts you and you forgive them, I'm telling you not only 
that you will remember, I'm telling you, the emotions will come back. And sometimes the hurt will come back. And all that stuff will come flooding back at you. And so and so. And they did and they did. And it's at that moment in time that you go back to that piece of paper and you remind yourself, this case has been tried. This debt has been forgiven. See, most people, when I tell them this, and I say, write it down, they say, okay, then what? Then I burn it. Then I throw it away. Then I nail it to the cross. I say the opposite. I say, keep it in your nightstand. I say, you hold on to that piece of paper as a record, as a reminder that so-and-so hurt me. But I forgave him. And once I wrote, I forgive him, I have no right to make him pay anymore. Even if I, I, I wish I had. Once it's forgiven, it's forgiven. A bank cannot come. That's it. Once it's forgiven. And we need to do the same thing. Because I guarantee you, the minute you decide that you want to forgive a person, the emotions are going to come back like a tidal wave and try to flood you and say, they don't deserve it. And they did, and they did, and they did. And you, yeah, that's right, they did. And you need to say, you know what? I'm not forgiving them for their sake. I'm forgiving them for my sake because I deserve to live free. I deserve to live with love in my heart. I deserve to be able to stand up and in front of my God and say, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. I deserve to be able to say that. But for many of us, with unforgiveness in our heart, what do you do when you get to that part of the prayer? Forgive me, Lord, for the way I lied to you. The same way I forgave so-and-so when they lied to me. Oh, no, wait a minute. I didn't forgive them. I hate them. I curse them. I have their picture, and I throw darts at their picture in my room. So forgive me the same way I forgive. You know what? If you don't forgive, keep your mouth shut when you get to that part of the prayer. I'm serious. Forgive me for not being honest with you the way I'm not. I forgive people who are not honest with me. Forgive me for stabbing you in the back the same way I forgive people who stab me in the back. I deserve better. And because I deserve better, I will do this. I will identify the person. I will determine what they owe me. I will cancel the debt in writing, and I will dismiss the case. Not because they deserve it, but because I deserve it. I deserve to live free. I deserve to be full of forgiveness, not full of bitterness and resentment. You know, St. Peter heard this story and I bet you when St. Peter heard this story, as with many things that Jesus said to his disciples, he didn't get it. And most people, when they heard the story, they just didn't get what Jesus was talking about. But I'll tell you when I think it became clear to St. Peter. After that story, fast forward a few months, Jesus is arrested. And before Jesus is arrested and tried and, and ultimately killed, Jesus tells his disciple Peter, his right-hand man, hey, Peter, I'm going to die. And when I get arrested, y'all are going to leave me. And Peter, chest puffed out again. He was a puffy chest kind of a guy. Said, Lord, all these other suckers may leave you, but not me. The suckers over there, John, weak John, pathetic James, Andrew, doesn't know. But me, I will never leave you. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, what? He said, get your watch ready, Peter. Because before the sun comes up, you will have denied me three times. And it came true. Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Peter, even though he wasn't there at the time when Jesus was on the cross, but I'm sure word got back to him. Jesus, as soon as he was up on that cross, didn't say much for most of the day. But finally, when, you, when he was squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and pushed and pressured and beaten and tortured, something came out of Jesus. 
which is how he really felt about those people who betrayed him, especially St. Peter. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think Jesus forgot what happened to him? You think if I went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, the whole Good Friday thing, what's your... You think Jesus forgot one person who cursed him? He doesn't remember it in a payback way. But I got news for you. The New Testament tells us that up in heaven, we will see the Lamb of God, Christ. And he is perfect, perfect, perfect. Not the beaten Jesus that we saw, perfect, with one exception. What does he still bear? Marks of the cross. Don't tell me Jesus forgot what happened on the cross. Jesus didn't forget, forget, but he did forgive. And for us, I told you in the beginning, as God and Christ forgave, uh, forgave you. That's our model. And for those who think that we need to forget and are holding ourselves in this prison of bitterness and resentment because we simply can't forget, we can't forget, we can't let go in our head, I'm telling you, I want to free you from that. And I'm telling you, you may never forget. You'll never forget what's happened to you. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive. That doesn't mean that you can't cancel the debt that's been owed to you. Why? Not because of what has been done to you, but because of what has been done for you. And I urge you, I encourage you, you lift your eyes up and you stop looking at what the person did and you start looking at what's been done for you. And it makes forgiveness a lot easier. Like I said, we're about to stand up in a minute. We're going to say this prayer. And we say this prayer a thousand times. And every time we say, forgive us as we forgive those, I, I'm telling you, no one, no one, just trust me on this one, no enemy who has ever hurt you has the ability to hurt you as much as you have the ability to hurt yourself. Your cruelest enemy cannot hurt you as much as you can hurt yourself by not forgiving them. And I mean that in an eternal way as well as a here and now way. You deserve it. So because you deserve it, I'm going to push you to forgive. And you're going to come to me in confession, and I'm going to say you need to forgive. Not because they deserve it, but because you deserve it. Because I love you and I care about you. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live and be able to say this sentence with freedom inside your heart. And it's my prayer for every single one of us that we would stop living in light of the hurt that someone has done to us. And we put that hurt in light of what Christ has done for us. And all of a sudden, this debt becomes a lot smaller in light of that forgiveness. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father. For what words can we say to express our gratitude for you forgiving us and you canceling all the, the, the handwriting of sins that was against us. Thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to, to, to really learn what it means to forgive and give us like the courage that we need to face the, the people who have hurt us and to forgive them and to cancel the debt, not because they deserve it, Lord, but because we deserve it. Lord, I pray for every person who's holding on to something inside their heart, and you know, Lord, that this message strikes some people in like a sensitive and a tough area. But I pray, Lord, that you would give grace for people to be able to take this message and do with it what you please for them to do. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.